Hello and welcome to the 8th episode of Turning Earth, the environmental podcast. Uh, this is Tommy. And I'm Eric. And what are we going to be talking about this one? It's been two months since our last episode, so a lot's gone down in the meantime. But we've tried to keep it to the most, the coolest stuff. We've decided not to start off with our um, terrible news from around the world, uh, doomsday scenario intro for a change. And instead draw attention to some of the people who've been getting on with us and, you know, solving the problems and trying to get good shit done. There's still positive things happening all the time that you tend to forget sometimes when it comes to the world of environmentalism, I think, yeah. is kind of a natural default position that we fall back onto. But good things do happen. And, and in fairness, in the last two months, there's been some positives and, uh, that have developed. Such as the Scottish Parliament has banned fracking. Yes, hydraulic fracturing has now been uh, banned by, actually by the government ministers have done a a full ban of of hydraulic fracturing, which is the unconventional type of uh, natural gas extraction, which is quite destructive to the environment, causes a lot of uh, pollution and leaking and um, it it causes even more uh, carbon release into the atmosphere because the overall process being so unusual because of the, the processes involved. Very dangerous anyway, but it's been totally banned by Scotland after they had put a moratorium on it since January 2015 and initiated this kind of public consultation process which has been going on until now. And so now it's official Scottish government uh, SNP ministers mm. uh, official position to totally ban the practice which is class because it was banned here earlier in the year and it's still it's yeah. it's ongoing in England there is a couple of sites yes. that have been fracked it, and that are like still kind of yeah. there's still strong local resistance there but I think that's where our uh, attention needs to go now if, if you're interested in being a, a solidarity activist against fracking pay attention to what's going on at Preston New Road and other sites in, in Yorkshire and yeah, because England is the, actually the only place within the, the islands here that their fracking is actually happening it's now not happening in either Scotland or it's banned in the Republic it's not actually ba- yeah. banned in the North but it's not taking place in the North so slightly it's, complicated it, situation it there it would be difficult for them to implement in the North it now, seems unlikely not to rest in our laurels but like no, they're, no. They're in a weakened position, and like, but as you said, it's not happening here in yeah. Scotland. Yeah, it's, I think. As you said, England is the place where it's really like a lot of. Um, it's England is the place where the, that particular fight is being fought yeah. at the moment because it is actually happening there. But positive developments. So yeah. that's a very good start to the the last period of time since we last talked to you. Um, yeah, and speaking of democracy, sometimes getting shit done. Uh, as we yeah. speak, the second session of the Citizens Assembly on climate change is taking place. Uh, the first weekend of it was earlier on in October and um, I haven't heard much of what came out of it but one of the overarching kind of message that seems to have come out of it um, from the debating and discussions that went on there is that there's a complete lack of political leadership on the subject of climate change and like that there's really no incentives coming from the government to households or communities to like implement renewable technologies or cut emissions or whatever like that. Yeah. Uh, and a recent EU poll has actually shown that the, in terms of like the general population, Ireland has one of the highest, a high percentage of people who are aware of, who are aware of the severity of the issue and who feel the need to do something about it. But what's coming, the message coming from the Citizens Assembly is that there's no, there's no direction being given by our so-called leaders on this topic. And the, there's not policy, in other words, strong enough to deal with the issue and say, yeah. we are now going to implement this very kind of strong I mean it was you know it reminds me of what we talked about uh, before with the policy in, in Dublin City in regards to cycling and cars you know prioritise bicycles and, and private cars a little bit less but you know that got pushed back by the, the lobby the, the, the car and, and parking lobby in yeah, Dublin yeah, yeah. but um, no, yeah no it's true there's not enough strong policy coming from government as there should be Dennis yeah, Norton like we, have this, we have this national mitigation plan and 
Yeah, John Fitzgerald, the chair of the Climate Advisory Council, referred to it as a thousand bright ideas, but no new decisions, no action. Yeah. Um, but like the Citizens Assembly is ongoing, and like I said, it, it, that that's really good because it'll it'll like even we were, we were skeptical before about the. Uh, Assembly on abortion, but that did give the state a little bit of a kick up the hole. In terms yeah, and they of were like, shocked by the yeah. results of it, and kind of like that. And was now we've got a referendum happening early. They haven't accepted, so. by the way. They yeah. don't believe they, they don't accept the 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 actual. Just, don't want to go off on a tangent there, but they don't accept the outcome of that citizens' assembly. So I don't think they're necessarily going to legislate based on that. So that's the problem. Is well, that there's a referendum though, so they, they'll have no choice but to follow whatever the outcome yeah, of that is. Absolutely, but so it could be very weak and not actually what the citizens' assembly. Yeah, yeah, are, so and that could happen. Had an effect though, and it, the fact that that's had, it, pu- it puts public pressure on yeah, them. That had way more of an effect than I thought it was going to. So it gives me faith in this this citizens' assembly process, and I think I'm looking forward to hearing what the overall outcome is of the assembly and climate. It's certainly an opportunity, and it'll be make it a bit a bit more of a public thing for us to air our kind of public debate that needs to be had about it, and that people uh, are more aware of it. Next is Kildare County Council. Quite or. We're doing the rounds now, patting people on the back. Kildare County Council uh, passed a motion calling on the government to protect Irish soil, which is quite poetic. Um, <laughs> it was put forward by independent councillor Sorok O'Neill, representative of NACE. Um, it had unanimous support from the rest of the council, and it's pushing for um, the EU to make it to implement a directive yeah. on soil erosion, because um, soil erosion is putting our food supply at risk. And the non-sustainability of a type of, I suppose, agriculture actually, because it's chemicals that are being used in. Um, in um, obvious chemical, yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't, yeah. say, doesn't say specifically there, but that's what I believe that we're generally. Well, I mean, that's 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 what's causing soil erosion is uh, herbicides yeah. through agriculture and overgrazing because of animal farming. And let's the cynic in me is wondering yeah. if the the councillors who backed it unanimously, unanimously are aware of what that means for their their dairy farming constituents. I don't know. Yeah, but that's uh, something that needs to be challenged too, isn't it? Kind of yeah. industrial food production, which is just naturally destructive. Something that's like the opposite, basically, of permaculture. Yeah, something yeah. that's the opposite of food production that is sustainable actually repletes the soil. You know. Yeah. So, which they yeah, fair play to Sarah O'Neill and uh, uh, Kildare County Council for for bringing that motion forward. And uh, a mention as well needs to go to People for Soil. Um, they did the groundwork and kind of petitioning and campaigning around this topic. They're they're part of an international campaign and they're they're led in Ireland by the Environmental Pillar. The Environmental Pillar is like a kind of a co- coalition group of various environmental and conservation groups. Um, so yeah, that's good. There's some positive um, for you there, yeah. Another positive coming out of a really horrible situation is that six kids from Leiria, I think is how you pronounce it, in Portugal, are taking 47 European states to court for a lack of action on global warming. Yeah. And uh, these kids, they come from an area that was destroyed by wildfires earlier this year, which killed over 60 people. Just in the last couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. recently, yeah. yeah. And, All over um, North Spain as well. They're taking the case on the basis that their fundamental human rights have been violated, which seems fair enough. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's class. And the si- similar things have happened uh, uh, in the US and in different countries with... Uh, young kids uh, bringing, bringing cases against the state because of their lack of action on climate change, which is endangering their future. Uh, their adult lives are going to be way more impacted than our adult lives are being. Um, Absolutely. They'll be living with uh, all sorts of just, can you, like, you know, imagine being in Portugal having to die with, how many people died? Was it 60, 60 people yeah. killed in last year? Like, and this happening constantly in Spain and Portugal. If you're looking at that, like, it was only in the last couple of weeks that the last one happened. And it was in uh, Galicia, I believe, and then it was going down obviously yeah, yeah. to Portugal. So all along the west there, you know. But yeah, it gives me hope that... Uh, I think the group of six of them they're like between the ages of nine and 14 or something and they're like they're actually I should mention they're crowdfunding because it's going to cost them like 100 grand to take the case and they're one yeah. third of the way to to raising that 100 grand there's two weeks left on the crowdfunder and if you want to donate to it 
which you definitely should do if you've got a few quid lying around. The URL is uh, crowdjustice.com forward slash case forward slash climate dash change dash ECHR. Uh, European Court of Human our, Rights, I believe that is. Yeah, yeah. We put that up on our Facebook page as well. Cause, uh, Absolutely, we will. That'll be easier. Uh, and also, here in Ireland, we're seeing the first ever climate case taken against the government um, and the Attorney General by Friends of the Irish Environment. Uh, they're stating that the, the National Mitigation Plan, as I mentioned earlier, is not enough. So it's in violation of the Climate Act, the Constitution and human rights obligations. Um, and they're, again, we're, they're taking this on the basis that we have the third highest levels of emissions in the EU set to climb even further by 2030. We're, we're actually, our emissions are increasing and on our current, our government's current plan, they're set to continue increasing. That, so that's incredible that a country yeah. our size yeah, yeah, is a really. third in Europe. That is so just ridiculous. Yeah, cow farming, man. So yeah, it's it's great that this uh, friends of the Irish environment they're uh, and it's always Ireland as it was recently that they want to get exceptions. Like wasn't it recently Dennis Norton wanted to get an exception for Ireland to not have to agree, not have to meet climate um, CO two emission related um, guarantees that we've already given. So to renege on existing agreements, in fact, yeah, yeah. where where more even needs to be done. And Dennis Norton with his you know electric car or whatever posing in the photos is actually like what he's actually doing is saying no we've, we actually want to roll back on what we've already agreed because we've got a dairy farm we've got a cow uh, production um, industry to protect you know yeah, yeah. like it's just crazy like and finally just before we go to the headlines um, just uh, I give thanks extend thanks and commiserations to Alan Daly who's the man who was uh, attempting to prevent the Apple Data Centre from being built in Athenry he was to, there was just the case was just pretty much immediately thrown out of the court. Um, yeah. He was challenging on environmental grounds, fairly reasonable environmental grounds. There was him and one or two other people, I think, and it, it, they seemed to have absolutely no local support. Basically, the locals wanted the data centre built, um, which again we talked about this in, in the show before. That's an interesting tension, and it's, it's you can't just dismiss that either. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely it, not. Like, no, I mean it, it's everything they were saying was true. Like they they, they do need much greater investment in Athenry and the, the west of Ireland in yeah. general, which has been depopulated so badly, and it's a real Irish tragedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. an ongoing, an ongoing one. You know? Yeah. But um, so even though like I, I can understand their need, their 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 point position and their position completely, and I empathise with it, and I, I to be honest, with you, to be honest, with you, I support it. To some degree, I just don't think the Apple in Data certain Center principle is the, of it, yeah. is the, the right project and the I right. I don't think it's yeah. going to do what all the good they think it's going to do. Uh, but I, I also have to commend Alan Daly and uh, for for like basically sticking their neck out. Now, interestingly, I think I think his name is Tim Cook, the current um, CEO of Apple. Apparently, he's, apparently there was a meeting with the Taoiseach the other day, and it was said or hinted or something like that that um, it's not absolutely certain. Like, there's a chance it still might not go ahead. But I don't know. I you know without having a huge amount of detail there, they might decide that it's not worth that you know the hassle or, or whatever in the end but we'll see we'll see what happens that might might well still go ahead I don't know yeah. but um, well, I in any we case crack on now. We, we intended that to be kind of a, a good news section but it ended up having a lot of bad news in it as well but uh, starting with the positives you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah. people are doing good stuff and people are getting shit done and and that's what we should remain focused on and not yeah. get too uh, caught up in uh the doomsday scenarios and all the rest of it. Speaking <laughs> of doomsday scenarios, here's me and Eric with the headlines. Throughout the month of August, wild peat fires blazed for weeks on end in Greenland. Scientists and locals agree that wildfires have started to occur, however rare, over the last 20 to 30 years, but never before were they this big. 
They are serious worries about the amount of greenhouse gases they are generating, but also that the black soot landing on the ice sheets will speed up the melting of permafrost. On the 12th of September, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization published a report showing that world hunger is rising due to conflict and climate change. Longer and more frequent droughts are becoming increasingly likely as the global temperature rises and weather patterns destabilise. On Sunday the 15th of October, ex-Hurricane Ophelia made landfall in Ireland. Three people were killed throughout the country. On the 21st of September, Gas Networks Ireland issued a warning to customers in Galway and Mayo to switch off their gas supply after odourless gas was pumped into the system from the Corrib Gas Refinery. Shell flared the gas, a process in which excess gas is burned off as a way to reduce danger of an explosion. 9,600 customers were affected. On the 10th of October, it was reported that nearly 200,000 acres of forested land had been destroyed and 42 people killed by wildfires in Southern California. 20,000 residents have had to evacuate and 8,900 structures have been destroyed. Alongside firefighters, around 4,000 inmates from both men's and women's prisons were on the front lines against the fire. They got paid $1 per hour and made up about 40% of the workforce. On the 17th of October, a huge oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico from the Delta House floating production facility took place. It's the biggest since the Deepwater Horizon explosion in 2010, though on a much smaller scale. Professor Edward B. Overton, a professor studying the deep water spill, said this one is, quote, pretty substantial, end quote, but not big enough to warrant a clean-up response as most of it will be broken down in a way the environment can handle, but maintains the fact that it happened is a cause for worry. A second runway has been proposed for Dublin Airport, and on the 18th of October, it was reported that friends of the Irish environment and 22 locals have taken cases against Fingal County Council because the runway would increase Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions. They claim there is, quote, a constitutional right to life, bodily integrity, water and health derived from the environment consistent with human dignity and well-being, end quote. Representatives of the state have said there is, quote, no right to an environment, end quote, enshrined in the constitution. On the 24th of October, the legal loggers in the Amazon cut down the world's oldest tree. They were cutting in the Mastace Indigenous Reserve by accident, they claim. The giant Samauma tree was over 5,800 years old. The tree had been a part of the local community culture for countless generations. And um, since the last time we spoke to you, also there's been a, a storm, in fact, an ex-hurricane which made landfall in Ireland, yeah. which was a big one. The whole country kind of freaked out a bit for the day, which is kind of warranted because uh, three yeah, people yeah. actually did get killed, in fact. Yeah, like um, we didn't see much of it in Dublin, so I don't think people really... There was a bit of a, a sense of almost disappointment, but... Yeah, people didn't register how severe it actually was in the rest of the country. Yeah. But there was, but since the Sunday, that it, it, which is what, the 15th of October, I think it was? But um, it, when it made landfall, um, or sorry, on the Sunday just before it came, when Met Aaron were issuing the red alerts, which I think were justified, you know. Yeah, and yeah. this became, this is one of those things now that kind of breaks the back of the whole concept of like... Oh, big time. 
of um, that that climate change well makes makes it clear that it's real and that yeah, you know yeah. this is now affecting us and we have to now get ready. Things are going to get rough. What you're saying there reminds me. I'd like to read this quote from Oshin Coughlin, who's the director of Friends of the Earth. He said, "The government response to Hurricane Ophelia shows three things: a better, safe than sorry approach, officially called the precautionary principle." a willingness to cause disruption to apply that principle, for example, by closing schools for a second day, and a new level of leadership, coordination and decisiveness in the state's emergency planning. Unfortunately, all three of these things are entirely absent in the government's approach to preventing extreme weather events like this from becoming more common. That's right, yeah. They were able to get the shit together and like, oh, well, this is happening, we better be safe, tell people to stay at home, tell people not to go to work, close the schools. Why aren't they taking action to like prevent this from happening in the first place like they're they're allowing greenhouse gas emissions to 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 get much worse yeah and they want to they don't want to meet their existing commitments as I've mentioned already Mm -hmm. and they want to so never mind make more commitments to transform you know the whole way like if if it's true that we're the third highest um, emitter in the EU that's crazy like you know Ireland I mean Um, actually we, we may not have spoken about that yet we're going to come to that I believe but um, so like we have, especially because of uh, cow farm and dairy farm, yeah. you know, and like, I listen, I'm a meat eater, you know, That's so okay. like, I'm not, you know, like I'm just, I'm not even coming at it from, I'm just purely from an environmental point of view that, you know, there's industries that we need to fundamentally change, you know, yeah. not in a way that, uh, you know, farmers won't be able to have some sort of way of making a living. I'm not talking about it screwing people over. It needs to diversify. Big yes. Our, we'll our talk com- about that later on though, after the interview with... Which will benefit everybody and then yeah. all the talking heads and pol- politicians will be well happy with that in, in, in retrospect. They just don't see it now. Like, it's really... it's Which, yeah. which is tragic, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it is, yeah. But this, the storm was, was, was highly unusual. It's, like, it's not something that's ever been seen before. I read an article recently that described it as breaking the weather grid because it went... It went like what is it? It went much further north and east than it ever would have had in the, a tropical storm. Yeah, in other words, it crossed sixty degrees latitude. Uh, so at that point, forecasting the wind speed became much more difficult. It didn't fit in the grid that different weather services use. It, yeah, it went off the grid, so people had to like ad hoc put away together of measuring the storm because they were like, oh, it's just gone off track. We did we didn't know it was going to go that way. This has never happened before. There would like, be a huge amount of data needed to make the predictions, of course, yeah, in certain yeah. areas of stuff. And it's the fact that it was it wasn't it was it was a hurricane when it was out in the sea. It wasn't quite a hurricane when it made landfall, but it was still like extremely dangerous storm. But but it was a tropical storm, and they're not called tropical storms for no reason. because yeah, they happen absolutely. in tropical places, not fucking islands. Yeah. It went all know? the way down from so far west and south yeah. that uh, yeah, us in the, like in northeastern Europe or sorry, in northwestern Europe actually, but yeah. we're affected by this. I mean, that's that's mad if you think about it. We're yeah, well yeah. far north, man. Well, far north. And what played a huge part in this, we mentioned this, I think, in the last episode in relation to, was it Hurricane Harvey that, that wrecked Texas there a couple of months Recently, ago? Recently, yeah, I think so, uh, yeah. What played a huge part in that was the abnormally warm surface temperature of the sea. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. exactly what, well, it's one of the things that contributed to this coming so far north. It was also that the Gulf Stream happened to be particularly strong when it was happening, but undoubtedly the surface temperature, the increased surface temperature of the ocean is what allowed the storm to come this far north. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the connections to climate change are absolutely undeniable at this yeah. stage. You know, well, that's that's the only that's the only one positive now to take away from it is that people. I think it's much more out more out there in the ether. People realise that this is real and this is happening. You know, <laughs> this is there's no escaping it. But it's true though. At the same time, we can prepare for when the storm is actually happening. But like, we need to stop this happening. We need to get our our CO2 emissions in order. We need to get the methane emissions in order, you know? We've yeah, got a yeah. lot of work to do, so we've got a lot of policy to change. But that's a start, people, at least. 
it's a starting board for that to possibly happen. We just need to make the connections, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just need to make the connections to make that policy happen. The same smart kind of policy that comes from when a storm is happening. Yeah, yeah. If we're so amazingly good at sorting out the situation at a government level. It's, it, it shouldn't really, yeah, it, it shouldn't take much for, for um, some kind of action to happen, you know what I mean? Like, the legislation is there. It just needs to be enacted upon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, we'll see what happens with this Friends of the Irish Environment and the, case and the agreement and, and, and the citizens assembly we'll see what actually comes of that because like the stuff is th- it's there like all the options are there the state's just not taking it like yeah there's loads that can be done Fine Gael cannot be trusted to and, and neither could Fianna Fáil in fairness in the past yeah. they just don't have the they don't prioritise this you know they're just going to think about how to keep the how to keep the industries going yeah it's all about like keeping keep the industry happy yeah. you know keep the, opposite, the lobbyists happy yeah the opposite of what happened in Scotland where you had the industry being furious about it yeah. so uh, the CEO or the managing director of Ineos uh, being furious about it is going to destroy our economy do you know what I mean yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. it's not going to add much to their economy at all it's only 0.1% of their GDP was going to increase things apparently according to the KPMG yeah. but sorry that's going off into another subject but, uh, yeah speaking of uh, we, you were talking briefly there about uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and their blood caked hands when it comes to Ireland's emissions and our generally general sorry state of affairs um, what came up in the headlines there was the gas flaring in Mayo with the gas leak yes which is uh, there was gas pumped yeah. back into the system uh, back into the gas grid this was Gas Networks Ireland saying this that it happened on the 21st of September so customers in Mayo and Galway were and this was odourless gas very dangerous yeah gas that it was could have very easily been a disaster yeah somehow something went wrong and gas got pumped into the system and so you're talking about nearly 10 about 10,000 customers roughly maybe slightly less um, were affected by this including hospitals apparently mm-hmm. and like you could have a serious disaster where you, you could be talking about many people getting killed if something went wrong there so the people were advised to turn their gas supply off you know so all it takes is for one person one house wrong thing for their house to just get destroyed you know, in the moment, possibly with them in it. So this was a very, very serious thing. And this is what we were told that was not going to happen back at the Corrib project was starting off and before it started off even, when there was a lot of uh, public debate about it and controversy and the Rossport 5 sent to jail and all that. Like, the locals and the campaigners were were just constantly driving that message home that this is dangerous. This is going to impact on people's lives. This is going to put people's lives in danger. Yes. This is going to be disruptive the conversations we had down there were all about what if there's an explosion because that's something that's happened in different parts of the world at some point there's high dense gas or oil or gas usually and there's an explosion and many people get killed so uh, you know it's very very dangerous and especially if the infrastructure isn't really really tight now Ireland's kind of in between we're not like totally first world but we're not totally third world either I think in, in infrastructure terms yeah, yeah, yeah. so but I'm not surprised that there was a problem and that like so Shell had to flare off they had to burn off the, the gas in order to stop you know so which is it's bad enough in itself but like you know were they able to burn off all of it we like we don't even know like I mean there was odourless gas you wouldn't even know if this was coming into your house yeah, yeah. you know but so then, uh, Fine Gael TD Michael Ring was piping up about it saying we were given guarantees that this type of thing wouldn't happen companies that sell potentially dangerous energy products to our consumers have an obligation to ensure that there is no risk to the customer mm-hmm. now that's pretty fucking rich coming from a Fine Gael TD yeah. do you know what I mean and as I was watching this video there's a video on YouTube of the, the emergency gas flaring and Terence Conway is a, a man that lives up there he's a local activist uh, has been for the last 20 years um, right where the the line is he, basically. Yeah, he um, he drew attention to the hypocrisy of that statement because Michael Ring was, did speak up about it in the early stages and then very quickly quietened down. 
Absolutely, um, yeah. He was obviously he was, someone pulled him aside. Totally I think he's yeah. from the area too, actually. So I think there's yeah. an element of him as a local kind of getting it that this was dangerous. But then, of course, if he's a Fine Gael minister, yeah, he'll be... They told the party line, ultimately. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's like, it's like any of those types of organisations. They're not like... No room for freedom of thought within Fine Gael, really. Absolutely not. No, have the whip applied and all that. If you want to be a minister, forget about it. Like, you know, you're not going to say a word. So um, that is potentially very, very dangerous. And it doesn't bode well from the future. Yeah, there'd be a danger of us just spending the entire hour giving out about Irish politicians. <laughs> Who've done terrible things as they do, that's their thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mismanaging the, the, the country. And our the, resources, the our energy supplies, our energy policy, not being smart and not doing things to make things better for everybody and everything more sustainable, keeping the industry going just to keep a handful of rich people at the top going. Let's be clear about that. We talk about industry and keeping industry happy and keeping the oil and gas uh, industries happy and keeping the whole thing. And Michael Ring being told not to say any bad words. You know, th- we're keeping like the, C- the the managing directors and the like happy. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily doing things that could be positive for local, what I call the ordinary economy, you know? So yeah. we can we can have we can have an ec- this can all be beneficial for everybody even economically you know a way of transforming yeah. uh, you know say for example c- cattle farming I know we got to go on about it a lot but cattle farming in a way that like those farmers can be can do things that could are environmentally sustainable and pay them the same wage I mean because they're getting subsidised to do their act- activities at the moment anyway yeah, yeah. so we're not it's not even like we have to find money that isn't already there you know yeah, yeah. so there are smart things that can be done that can benefit everybody we can all yeah, yeah. benefit from but we have to confront you know, the types of the CEOs and the managing directors of the yeah, industries yeah. that want to stay rich, rich, rich at the expense of everybody else. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. that's inseparable from the whole story here, I'm afraid. That actually reminds me of something that I was just thinking about the other day. I went to the, this talk last week. We'll get on to this uh, the interview with Patrick Fogarty now in a minute about the greenwashing. We'll talk about that. But just before we move on, I was at this EPA lecture in the Mansion House about uh, communicating climate change. They had a uh, Professor Chris Rapley over from the University of London um, talking about the difficulties of communicating climate change and the severity of it and what do we need to do. It was a pretty good lecture, most of it, you know what I mean? But he said some funny things about uh, corporations and their um, their role to play in changing the paradigm, if you like, in like becoming positive actors in the whole scenario. He mentioned that he had been a consultant for Coca-Cola and for Shell, right? And saying that, oh, that Coca-Cola are using less water now and that they're trying to, you know, acting out of self-interest because they recognise that that changing your actions to improve the climate rather than worsen it will actually make you more money. That's becoming more apparent. There's report after report coming yeah. out that like if you take steps now to prevent climate disasters, it's going to save you money in the long run because you're not going to have to spend money later on cleaning up and spend money later on mitigating it, basically. But what was left out of this, I think, especially in relation to Shell, and no, and to Coca-Cola, actually, is like, should companies in their positions be allowed to adapt should they be allowed to continue to prosper, having considering the part they played in creating the scenario? Absolutely, yeah. And I know every one of us has a part to play. Like we are all, we all consume these things or whatever, but we don't just do it purely by choice. Like there's there's millions spent in PR and advertising campaigns to, for us to sublimate our desires into these products like Coke and stuff. You're not buying a can of Coke. You're buying happiness and friendship happiness of, you know yeah, yeah yeah no it's it's poisonous to our souls as well you know yeah, yeah. there's no doubt about that i mean they they're adapting because they they've made the realization very late that they they can't just destroy the world and then you know it's going to make it hard for the, harder for them to operate in the world if they and their profits yeah that's what it comes down to is money you know yeah. but yeah there is a question there of like they're allowed to operate with that as their priorities making money but actually we should have a way of we have to have a way of making it so that 
the priority for us as a society because they're so powerful as corporations. But the priority should be, you know, the good of everybody as opposed yeah. to just their, these very powerful corporations that they only care about making money, that's their primary goal. And that's why they cause so much destruction. They're legally designed in such a way that they can only care about the bottom line, the financial yeah, profit course, bottom yeah. line for private. So you do need to challenge that. I really think there's no other way around that mm-hmm. of challenging that motivation and allowing that, enshrining that legally, as opposed to legally enshrining that all our operations as organisations, whatever type of organisation we're talking about, whether it's something that evolves from a corporation or whatever, that its primary reason for existing is the good of everybody and or that or that their primary reason for existing doesn't conflict with that at the very yeah, least, yeah, you know? But yeah. so And like I don't want to be fundamentalist about it and like say that no private company can have a part to play in making things better because I don't think that's true mm. but like when you're talking about companies like Coke and especially Shell and oil and gas companies who are now diversifying into renewables why should we allow them to continue why like I know like who's gonna who's gonna have the power to challenge them ultimately but like th- like they knew for longer than most people especially like when you think about ExxonMobil knew since the late 70s ExxonMobil sorry knew since the late 70s the severity of climate change and they actively yeah. suppressed the information they would be the ones who would have that information they would have commissioned the studies would have been able to pay for it to know in the first place yeah Absolutely, absolutely. So why should they, what is it, 30 years after the fact, uh, or nearly 40 years after the fact, when it's when it's gotten so much worse, why should they be allowed to continue absolutely. as an entity? Like, that needs to be shut down, surely. They got us into this mess. I think, you know, there's no reason why, in, for certainly why individual companies can't be challenged that they should exist. And on top of that, you know, more general, and this is, this is important, so one just doesn't replace the other. I mean, there are legal structures that came into existence that defined what a corporation was allowed to be and mm. private companies and how and why they have so much power. There is structures there that can be sort of, I suppose, attacked or or, or uh, altered somehow, if you like. So what it means to be a company and what, you know, so as I said, the main thing now is that those corporations can only put their private profit of their shareholders at the priority of ev- above everything else. But that's something that's legally enshrined. It can It's something that can be, could be changed. Why not? Like you know, we just need to understand what we're doing, what we're changing about organisations are that are these private entities or some other kind of entity that people can work for and, and yeah. be productive with. You know, I like the idea of being working and being productive. Just you know, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a corporation as it is right now. But that's get you know, that's kind of going off into yeah, yeah. We're thinking about how we absolutely are, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> but um. You know, but it comes into I like I like working, but I'd like to work for an, or an organization that it's defined in such a way that its priority is not just the private, the shareholders. Yeah. You know, there are such things as companies that people are people are the workers also own the company, like they all own it. You know, so there's there's ide- there's ideas there. You know, there's reasons there. We don't have to be totally yeah. defeatist about all these things. So to uh, to take things, you know, focus things a bit more back from the 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 oh, overwhelming. <laughs> huge issues there are with the world at the moment um, we're just going to focus on a smaller but no less but significant issue that we're having here at home uh, which is with greenwashing so we've interviewed uh, Podrick Fogarty from the Irish Wildlife Trust on the topic but first we can I guess we should start by defining greenwashing um, which basically means as far as I can tell uh, it's like it's like the concept of whitewashing you're misleading the public into thinking that what you're doing is sustainable or environmentally friendly yeah. when it's actually the opposite it's become really important to appear as if you're environmentally friendly exactly. rather than actually be environmentally friendly yeah. and it's it's a big problem it's it's kind of a refle- reflection of a good thing of the people understand that the, the environment and the climate is actually important and we need to protect it but it's bad in so far as that it's just it's just a deception 
Yeah. And there's a lot of it going on. There's a lot of it going on. We like yeah. to pat ourselves in the back, or, you know, politicians and government and the rest like to pat themselves in the back and through the media and all the rest of it. Yeah. But there's a few different examples uh, of this. Yeah. Um, so, for example, you know, it was, for example, Simon Coveney recently, the last few weeks, or a month or two, I think, was talking about, he was tweeting, I think, about how great it was that there was, it was discovered recently that seaweed, uh, if fed to cows, and this is actually true, apparently, that they can reduce methane emissions by a good um, 99% or something to that yeah. extreme level. And methane is much worse than CO2. The main thing that we emit as a, as a society is CO2, but methane is like uh, 20 times stronger, some number like yeah, that huge much, power, much more, yeah. in terms of um, heating up the planet. So it's very, very bad. But, um, you know, this was a bit of like, you know, because it's such a huge industry in Ireland that. And so they're talking, about, oh, we could just keep it going with seaweed. But listen, I mean, Ireland might be a little bit different, but for most countries that have um, cattle farming, it's only like a few cows that are near the coast that could have it. I mean, mm. where are you going to get seaweed inland to countries like in America or it's Australia yeah, it's not enough. or Brazil, you know? And even if there was enough in Ireland to feed all the cows in Ireland, that, like we can't just use all the seaweed for that purpose because seaweed is also useful for a great many other purposes. Yeah, it can, it can feed us directly, but it can also if you're a gardener, if you're growing vegetables, or if you're if you're someone who farms farms vegetables, seaweed is a really effective way of feeding nutrients back into the soil. It also works as a slug repellent, yeah. so it, it has a part to play in organic farming and in using as herbicides and pesticides. So that's that's a way more effective use for it than feeding it to cows. But also, th- th- this is something as well that Chris Rapidly ignored in his talk in the mansion house and it's something that often gets ignored when we're talking about uh, environmental issues that we're facing is that it's not just about climate change soil erosion is also a huge issue we're facing at the minute because of animal farming and monocrop cultures it doesn't matter if the cows are doing nice odour free farts that aren't yeah. fucking up the atmosphere nice farts that smell like the yeah. seaside and remind you of being at the beach like they're still contributing to soil erosion and agricultural farming is one of the greatest drivers of land loss and soil erosion all over the world absolutely yeah and the amount of land it takes for that type of agriculture is just not, um, I should say the word sustainable because we were just talking recently about how bad that word has actually become. Yeah, but yeah. but it's just not good for the environment because you need to have a diverse um, food production. The monocrop culture, we should consider it old hat. I mean, it's not, mm. but we should consider it like something that needs to be phased out big time because mm. the only way you can keep it going is by hurting the land and using your pesticides and all the rest. Companion planting works as well. You can, you can plant plants next to each other where one is the food you want to eat and the other one is a plant that the bug will be more attracted to or the scent of it will distract the bug from the plant. For example, if you're... Uh, I learned this today at the, the Farmer's Hill NEC Community Garden in Summerhill that um, if you plant uh, marigolds next to carrots, the, the fly that normally attacks the carrot root will be distracted by the scent of the marigold and you're less likely to. So there's, 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 there's other more holistic approaches to, you than, to it than, than that, but like... Smarter um, approaches that you don't need more know, chemicals, you know, and just as well because like, it's already readily available, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 All of this is part of we've gone slightly on a bit of a tangent there, but oh, all yeah. of this is why you need, you need to be uh, skeptical when the likes of governments are saying, government ministers and the like are saying that, oh, we could just solve our problems with uh, using seaweed and mm. you know, as, with, there's something much more fundamental needs to happen there. Well, that's there, a greenwashing, that's what you're talking about. Two, yes. two, two, <laughs> so it's not just the state who are responsible for this, but there's two, um, which I spoke to Patrick Fogarty about earlier in the month. Uh, two serious examples of greenwashing are the Board Namona naturally driven campaign and the Board Bia Origin Green certification. And um, I guess we just play the interview now because that explains the issues with both of those.
So I'm here with Porrick Fogarty, who is an ecologist and he's the campaigns officer with the Irish Wildlife Trust. He's also the author of Whittled Away, a book about the uh, erosion of Irish wildlife and Irish natural habitats. But we're here to talk about greenwashing, specifically the um, in the Irish context, we're talking about Borbia's campaign, Origin Green, which is, well, it's referred to by them as the, the world's first evidence-based food sustainability programme. But it's recently come under uh, heavy criticism from the Wildlife Trust and other uh, other bodies, um, because three of the companies who have the certification are on the EPA's watch list for poor environmental practice. And uh, Paul, what can you tell us about that? Like, why? What, what would a company have to do to get on that watch list, and what does that mean for Origin Green as a label? Well, to get on the EPA's priority list, um, uh, companies. Uh, are scored. Um, it's based on numbers of non-compliances and non-conformances with their licenses and um, complaints and issues such as that. So the EPA started this list earlier this year uh, in the hope of naming and shaming, I suppose, the worst uh, polluters in the country. Um, we found then that a lot of the companies on this list were associated with uh, the agri-food business and uh, and when we did not a huge amount of research uh, we found that uh, three of the companies uh, had this uh, origin green certification um, and so the, the companies concerned are uh, involved in, i know one of them is dairy gold what, mm-hmm. what are the other two uh carberry and um aramore so, and are they, are they all involved in dairy farming yeah well they are uh, uh, milk pro- uh, processors and dairy mm-hmm. processors so i guess what kind of uh, what's the word? We're um, guessing a bit here, but like, in relation to dairy farming, what would it be that would, what would be the areas of concern in relation to dairy farming in terms of their impact on the environment? Well, uh, the, the concern is is origin green, and it's about agricultural practices and agricultural expansion in particular. I mean, we didn't just start complaining about origin green uh, this year. We we've been, we've been quite vocal in our opposition to it from the beginning, and not that we're against the idea of. Um, a drive to make Irish agriculture sustainable. I, I think that, that would be a really good idea, actually. And then and we could sell our food abroad as being uh, produced in an environmentally sensitive way. Uh, the problem that we found was that uh, what the message that Origin Green is, uh, is saying to people is totally at odds with what's actually happening in the countryside. And this was as true to five years ago as it is today. Mm. We made uh, submissions to government expansion plans uh, that highlighted the problems with water quality, that highlighted the problems with uh, habitat loss and uh, the extinction uh, of farmland birds and fires in, in farmed areas of the uplands, etc. And then along came Orange and Green, and it basically... Uh, uh, swept all that away. It greenwashed all that away with this uh, multi-million euro uh, marketing plan. So there's been no improvement in those areas. No, there's been a, there's been a marked deterioration yeah. in those areas. Uh, I mean, the curlew is literally on a knife edge. It's on it's on its way to extinction, um, and that is in large part due to agricultural expansion. There's no question about it. There's a direct relationship between the two. Yeah. yeah. And I heard as well recently that the, uh, according to a study by, done by the EPA over a period of, I think it was 2010, 2015, uh, the conclusion was that uh, 
a study of like the Irish fresh freshwater, so lakes and rivers, the, it's gone from 300 pristine sites in the 80s to 21 pristine sites uh, now. Mm. And there seems to be a link between that and dairy farming as well. Can you, can you expand on that? Uh, I mean, water quality has been uh, a problem in Ireland since uh, we joined the European Economic Community and since intensive agriculture. So there's nothing particularly new about it. Um, but about uh, half of all our water bodies uh, are polluted. Half of that is from agriculture. That's um, assessed by the, by the EPA again. And, uh, and we see that intensive agriculture is really, really puts a lot of pressure on water quality, largely because particularly dairy, it produces more dung. And that dung has to go somewhere. I mean, 100 years ago, dung was a valuable uh, nutrient resource that was, you know, uh, treasured and uh, used sparingly. But now there's just too much of it. And where does it go? We haven't invested in uh, things like uh, uh, anaerobic digestion, which could uh, turn dung into energy. Uh, so basically, the dung is stored in tanks over the winter, uh, and then it's spread on the land, and uh, the land just can't cope with the volumes. So it ends up in our rivers and lakes. Right, yeah. So what do you think would be an alternative approach to... Because I know the, the, the Wildlife Trust, in, in a press release, called for the Origin Green to be scrapped. Mm. So what would be an alternative to that approach? I think uh, one of the, the problems we have is that um, these environmental or so-called environmental issues are marketing-driven. Uh, we would never expect bored beer to save the curlew from extinction. I mean, Board Bia is a marketing organization, and uh, we wouldn't expect the job of nature conservation to be done by Board Bia. And you can see where government priorities lie when about 11 million euro is given to the National Parks and Wildlife Service, whose job it is to protect our wildlife, and over 30 million is given to Board Bia. To, for the marketing job. So the marketing gets three times more uh, than the actual conservation. Those numbers need to be reversed, number one. Uh, I think it's outrageous that we give the National Parks and Wildlife Service so little money. Uh, we give 16 million euro to uh, the Greyhound Board, for instance, which uh, to me is uh, outrageous. That's insane, yeah. And um, so number one, we have to properly uh, get our priorities right and properly fund the National Parks and Wildlife Service uh, to do the job on the ground. Uh, number two, we have to ditch the word sustainable because really it has just been commandeered by the marketing department and it doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. Nobody knows what it means. And these days people are more likely to be cynical when they hear the word uh, than, than to put any actual faith in it. So if you're going to make environmental claims, uh, you, need, you need to actually tell us what you're saying rather than using the word sustainable. Uh, if you're saying our farming is being done in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that is sensitive to nature, or we're going to do farming that is going to keep our waterways clean, uh, well then say that and, and show us the proof of it. Uh, but, but don't be using this word uh, sustainable, which, uh, which, which has just been abused so much to the point of meaning. It's become a buzzword, really. Yeah. So do you think it's possible to maintain our current levels of animal farming or any level of animal farming in a sustainable fashion? No, I don't. And uh, the reason I don't is not just on environmental grounds, but we have to be mindful that the current system 
is brutalizing not only for the environment but for farmers themselves. Um, subsidies have become, or rather farmers have become so dependent on subsidies that uh, whole sectors of agriculture are loss-making. Tillage farming, beef farming, sheep farming are loss-making. Um, even dairy farming, while it, it does make some profit, is still very, very reliant on public subsidies. And, um, and this has taken an awful lot of the, 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 the power and the skills away from farmers on the ground who would be able to deal with environmental problems and protect nature, but um, they're, they're worried an inspector's going to come up and start ticking boxes and tell them that they, they're not going to get their, their money. Uh, and, and this has puts an awful lot of strain on farmers themselves. So I think we need to totally rearrange the way we produce food and the way we run agriculture in Ireland. Reading with that earlier, you already mentioned that the Board B I guess for the thirty two million in funding to uh to market uh Irish beef and Irish dairy overseas. Um now the industry itself is responsible for thirty three percent of our greenhouse gas emissions, the agri-food business but it only makes up 8.4% of the workforce. That seems to be something that needs to happen, that we need to get more people back into rural work and that the type of work that happens need, needs to diversify. But what, what, could, what could be done to incentivise that kind of thing? Well, I think that's a difficult question to answer. I yeah. wouldn't pretend that I have, I have easy answers to that one. I do think that um, if, we want to, uh, if we want to produce food in a way that produces good quality, healthy food, that protects the livelihoods uh, in rural areas and also protects the environment. Uh, we could go down to the Burren and have a look at what they're doing there because they're doing a really, really successful job uh, in the Burren. And the reason that is, is because uh, the farmers are not being paid uh, on the basis of the volume that they produce. So there isn't the pressure on the farmers to constantly be, be producing more. Uh, they're being paid for not only the, the, the food they're producing, but also um, uh, for protecting the land. Uh, and the more they protect the land, uh, the more money they get. So it's very much uh, results-based rather than actions-based. They're not being told what to do. They're being told what we want. And it's up to them to find the best way of, of achieving it. And I think that um, the Burren has succeeded because uh, it has uh, local support, it has the farmer's support, it has the backing of uh, the government, it has the backing of the European Union, uh, and most of the areas in the Burren are also protected very successfully for nature conservation. The challenge we have now is, now that we have an example and we know how it works, um, why aren't we seeing more of it? Why is, why, why are, why is the Burren still a relatively small-scale project? If we had Burren-style projects across the west of Ireland, um, I think we, we could really see major change. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, moving on from that, you mentioned the word sustainable and how that's been kind of... Uh, it's had all meaning removed from it. I think I would almost add the word renewable to that as well. Uh, in terms of a word that gets thrown around and can just be used rather cynically by marketers. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, Board Namona's um, naturally driven ad campaign as well, another really high profile marketing campaign. Um, and they're kind of pushing themselves as being at the forefront of sustainable energy, renewable energy. But what they're talking about there often is biomass um, 
or extracting methane from landfill and i think it's arguable it's how how sustainable that actually is um like if you're taking methane from landfill you're incentivizing waste production to a degree and there's questions about whether or not we can actually like is biomass actually a renewable energy i don't know do you, do you have anything to say about that depends entirely on uh, where it comes from. Bordemona was using, at the same time that it was, it was, uh, it had its uh, ad campaign for naturally driven with lovely pictures of wild animals, uh, it was using uh, palm oil husks in its, um, in its energy plants. Now, palm oil husks are basically the, the, the shells of, of palm oil uh, that come from plantations in Southeast Asia. And whether such a thing as sustainable plantations of palm oil exist, I think is very dubious. Um, at best, we can't be sure where these things come from. At worst, they're responsible for massive illegal logging and habitat destruction in one of the most sensitive and important habitats on Earth. And Spordemona only stopped using the palm oil husks when it became public knowledge and when they were shamed into stopping to use the palm oil husks. Now, you could argue that palm oil uh, husks are a form of renewable biofuel. Um, you can grow uh, palm oil, but you know behind that, there is a much darker side. So again, you're right, the word renewable doesn't reassure people anymore that this is actually a, a good idea, or this is actually uh, protecting Mother Earth. Again, um, uh, Bordemona now have a challenge as to where they're going to find these fuels. They can't find enough of it in Ireland. Um, there's talk of them going to the United States where uh, they could be importing uh, trees and wood from native forests in America to burn, uh, to make electricity first. I mean, this is, this is outrageous, yeah. if it's true. I heard about that all right because they were uh, talking about converting the peat plants to biomass but that there wouldn't be enough trees in the area to sustain it so mm. they'd have to import mm. from the states. Uh, we're, we're running it short on time now so just to finish up um, is there anything you'd like to tell us about the, what the, the Irish Wildlife Trust is currently doing any campaigns that has going on or any activities that people can get involved in? Yeah well the, the Irish Wildlife Trust is a national organisation we have branches around the country um, and those branches are very active in holding um, events and, and uh, uh, things that people can go along to, walks and talks and that kind of thing. I'd encourage anybody to get involved. It's very important that people get outside and appreciate uh, the nature that we have. And, um, and I also think that given the scale of the problems that we have, um, that people who are concerned about our environment need to realise that they have political influence. They may not realise it, but by sending an email to your local politician, uh, by challenging them on our environmental record when they call to your door looking for your vote, these things uh, matter and these things resonate with politicians. And it's only when politicians, I think, start to take environmental protection seriously that we will see uh, the proper change that we need. All right. Thanks very much, Park. There you go, that was Parik Fogarty from the Irish Wildlife Trust explaining the issues with not just greenwashing but we kind of got more general talking about the, just the problems with dairy farming and, and animal farming, it, it, can we keep it up? And I think obviously it, it, it can be kept going on a small scale but it, 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 what the state is doing is the exact opposite of what needs to happen really, so we need to decrease the animal farming and diversify our food production in a big way. Absolutely, and for our health, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of reasons why it's not just... Um, 
for environmental reasons, for our own personal health. There's the ethics around animal farming in general, of course, yeah, yeah. as well. So there's lots of angles to take on this. But it's an it's an industry that, as an industry, we can't keep it going. Yeah, there's yeah. just too much. Uh, it's uh, but again, I would link that back in with you know monocrop culture in general, not necessarily just animal farming. We need to transform the way we produce food because it's just we need to do it in such a way that we're not damaging the environment. And that it's, you know, we're using things smartly alongside each other. So, like, basically taking a, a, a permaculture type approach to it, where you have diverse crops, but smaller, instead of loads of one thing, you've, you have loads of different things all beside each other that there's increased, you know, diversity, in, increased yeah. diversity of uh, ecosystems as well. So it's something that is just, you're going to end up making, far, far, like, forests, basically. You're going to yeah, end up yeah. places that are nice to actually be in as well. Yeah, and we've you know? talked about this a few times, the fact that... Uh, animal farming and dairy farming is heavily subsidised by the state so there's there's money there for subsidies so there's other things we could divert that money to to pay the same people to do different stuff to pay absolutely. more people to do absolutely like, and examples of that are there's studies are coming out to prove this over and over again that paying people to maintain trees and to plant trees basically pays off in the long run and it's yeah. like the, 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 the effect on GDP is a positive rather than a negative like people that's in many parts of the world like you know will at the moment because they've no other way of making money will cut down forests in places yeah. like Brazil where the Amazon and stuff where they, they need it it's illegally even do it mm-hmm. because they've no economic alternative mm-hmm. like you could literally if you want like I'm not I do not comment on Brazil's specific specific situation but like there's all right certainly in Ireland farmers are already subsidised hugely yeah. so there's already like there's not even like you need to find you money you know I mean yeah. it just takes a bit of smartness like with saying oh you know we can actually like stop hurting ourselves environmentally and you know use this uh, subsidies for farmers and keep them going don't don't cut anyone off it's, I think it's really important that you do it in such a way to in, or, in order for it to actually work in a practical sense and create in other words buy in I don't like using those terms but yeah, yeah. to convince basically I mean Say to farmers, you know, like, we're not going to take your money away from you. You know, you were subsidised, you continue to subsidise and then change the activity that happens for that, like, in a way that will benefit everyone. So everyone's going to be happy in a few years when things start to improve, yeah. you know. So there's, there's smart things that are not even that, like, it's there's not even really much pain there involved in a sense. Like, yeah. I mean, there, there are other things that may cause pain, but there's one where that there's no reason why there has to be at no. all. And the economic analysis of it is that long term, the cost of paying people to maintain wild land and forested land is will will be less overall than the cost of dealing with the the damage of climate change caused, exactly yeah so which is almost incalculable you shouldn't even really like calculate it with money because it's our it's our it's our yeah, money lives. talks though money does talk it's absolutely more immediate concern than but think about your body think about like your children's future think about the impossibility of people be able to, think about people who will have to abandon so many parts of the world because they're too hot yeah, and yeah. too dry to live in like is the, do you do you measure that in economics or do you measure that in like destroyed like parts of the world you know it's more about it being a motivating factor I suppose like what's going to spur people to action spur the, the CEOs of the corporations that we're struggling with like, a, yeah getting paid for stuff has a really positive effect on my own work ethic so like it's, yeah it no, I've, I'm you not know. arguing with you there it's the same yeah. for me you know and other alternatives of course are, and this is this has been played out very successfully in Sweden uh, people are switching fr- uh, to, from dairy farming to crop farming specifically um, farming oats and there's a company quite a big company now Oatly they sell their, their oat milk all like all over Europe as far as I know they're selling it here now as well but they're also they've also started helping other farmers set up smaller companies to do the same thing they're helping like they, they have support programs in place to help farmers switch to crop farming and like there's still issues with that that's still monocrop and it's like mass production and yeah international trade there's issues with that as well but it's in terms of emissions 
it's a huge improvement on cow farming. Yeah, it's a and step in, in the right direction road, anyway. It's a minor improvement, but it's an improvement nonetheless. It is a step in the right direction. And that's, again, that's an example of something that wouldn't be a tremendously difficult thing to do. It w- yeah, I mean, there's precedent for it. I mean, they know how to... There's transferable skills, there's money to be made. Why not do that? Like Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, it's it's not completely out there in terms of like, it's, it's familiar to farmers who know how to farm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But again, like as the, the, the Citizens Assembly were saying, it's like, it's our responsibility individually to figure this stuff out, but the state needs to fucking needs yeah. to put some incentives in place for people to do that like instead of right now everyone's moving to Dublin like I came to Dublin from yeah. a small town because Dublin's where I need to be yeah. do you know what I mean like there needs to be reasons for people to go back to places like Athenry to the countryside to the west to yeah. just to, to to be less concentrated and to be more spread out and to be doing a greater diversity of native industry and native agriculture that yeah. will yeah that will make us resilient and ready for this, the literal storms ahead and experiment with how you know things like as you said food production and also just generally how we, you know that's a that's a better life for people to have where you know we're not all just in one place and we have to we're all dependent on the big city and that we, there's nothing outside that I mean there's a whole there's a whole land out there you know that can be uh, we can you know we can have um you can have a life out there. But yeah, it's true. There has to be government policy that makes yeah. a place worth visiting. Right now, it's just empty. There's just nothing there. So it's time for us to wrap up now pretty much. But I'm just, uh, before we finish, uh, draw your attention to a few groups and uh, different events that are happening over the next month or so. Um, as I said earlier in the episode, uh, I was down at the NEC Community Garden on Rutland Street this morning. And it was, there's a free gardening co- course happening there for the next uh, eight weeks, or the next seven weeks, should I say, every Saturday, 11 to 1. Uh, the training's being provided by the City of Dublin Education and Training Board. Uh, the facilitator, Siobhan, is very knowledgeable and they're all really sound down there, so I'd recommend paying a visit and uh, there'll be plenty to learn. There's also a course on foraging and bushcraft skills, so like fire management, wildlife tracking, plant identifying and that sort of thing, which starts on November the 12th in the Phoenix Park. Uh, it's run by the Phoenix Forest School and Wild Awake, which are two groups concerned with environmental education. Uh, the course is on the second Sunday of every month and the cost for each day is a suggested donation of €35, Euro, so that's more or less as you can afford. Uh, so you can find more info on that on the Phoenix Forest School and the Wild Awake Facebook pages. And then on Friday and Saturday the 24th and the 25th of November, if you're in Galway, the Padder O'Donnell Socialist Republican Forum will host a series of talks in the Galway Mechanics Institute and the Harbour Hotel Galway City on the topics of natural resource giveaway and neoliberalism's, neoliberalism's impact on Ireland. So some broad topics and some more specific ones as well. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, there's more info on that on their Facebook page. So the Padre O'Donnell Socialist Republican Fund. Finally, the Not Here, Not Anywhere campaign are resisting new oil and gas infrastructure in Ireland. Um, so resisting new wells and uh, liquefied natural gas platforms and that sort of thing. We spoke to Sinead Mercier in the last episode about that. Um, they're meeting on November the 6th in the Kolov office in Parliament Street. So Monday, so in the next couple of days and they'll be planning for an international day of action against gas networks which is November the 14th it's a great idea for a campaign yeah and they, they meet there regularly and you can find more info about them on their on their campaign on the Not Here Not Anywhere Facebook page also and we're also going to post the links to all this stuff on our own Facebook page that's right is fb.com forward slash turning earth radio so you can find all that stuff there have any contributions or questions or comments which of course we encourage you can email us at turningearthradio at gmail.com yep so that's it for this time Schlan Schlan before <laughs>